Amen. Good morning, everyone. Hey. Our lesson is, is definitely, I'm just going to admit, it's a, it's a strange lesson this morning. So this is a pig. This is a baby cow. And then that's a, that's a goat. It looks like a sheep, but it's actually a goat. It's a, it's a little goat. Um, and the, the name of our lesson is the pig, the calf, and the goat. And you'll, so you're like, I've never heard a, tr- a lesson called the pig, the calf, and the goat. And you know what's funny is I grew up moving around a lot as a kid. Uh, I lived in like super urban areas, and I lear- lived in super rural areas, and everything in between. And we actually lived in Kansas, farm, farmland, farm country. And I remember, you know, our neighbor who lived a mile away would call us in the middle of the night, like, the calf, the calf is coming, you want to come and see the birth? So my mom would get us up out of bed and we'd go watch a baby cow being born. And um, my brother had some sort of, like, allergies, so he couldn't drink cow's milk, so we actually had a goat that we milked. And we gave, we, we, my brother drank goat's milk. And so... The, the, the thing is, though, when we read parables that have to do with, like, farm animals or farming in general or agricultural lifestyle, like, it just kind of, like, glazes over us. It's kind of like when we read names in the Bible and someone who knows the names and knows, like, oh, well, that's a Greek name and that's a Hebrew name. Like, that means something to them. But when we read farming parables, we're like, mm, okay, I guess Jesus used that word for a reason. We're going to read a parable that has all three of these animals in it. And I've heard this parable preached many, many times and different things drawn out of it. We usually try to relate to the people in the parable. And that's a good thing to do. But I am going to ask you to think about these animals in this parable. And we're going to talk about what those animals mean. So go to Luke 15. We're going to read the parable of the lost son. Also known as the prodigal son. We're going to read the whole thing. And then we'll break it down. Luke 15, starting in verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father... I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. 
he was lost and now is found, so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and, you, and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and have every, everything I have is yours. But we had, we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And that is the parable of the lost son. And like I said, so usually what we do is we, re, we try to connect to the people and we're like, which one of the people are you? Are you the younger son or are you the older son? That's valid. That's good. And yet what I want to do this morning is, is let you know that we're a little bit like both of them all the time. In you, you have a little bit of the younger son and a little bit of the older son. And I want to look at these animals because these animals mean something. <clears throat> and so what I'm going to do is look at the parable as a whole. And so when Jesus was saying this, Jesus was trying to communicate something. Jesus, this whole parable is, is a very simple uh, explanation in, to people Jesus was talking to. And it was about the Jewish people, the Israelites, and the Gentiles. And this whole parable can be summed up by saying, the Gentiles are coming and you're going to freak out. You're not going to be able to handle it. Uh, and so that's what it meant to the first century hearers. And we're going to extrapolate a little bit from that. All right? So first up is the pig. So the second son cashed in his inheritance and he lived without restraint. He was just wild. He was like, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. He quickly realized how fast you can go from being on top to being on the bottom of life. And a lot of us have felt that. A lot of us have felt like, things are really going well for me. And then like, it seems like you blink and the world is stomping on you. And you're like, what, is ha what happened? <clears throat> well, this guy lived foolishly. He lived without wisdom. He cast off restraint. He assumed that anything that like holds me down, anything that restrains me is bad. And anything that feels good must be good. And in your right mind, in your spiritual mind sitting in church, your church mind, you know that's not true. But your church mind doesn't usually last past church. And so later, you're like, oh, but this feels like it's cramping my style, so I, this must be bad. And you do what you want to do. So what is the pig... What does the pig symbolize? What does the pig represent? Well, the easy answer is sin. But that's not true. His sin was greed, foolishness, um, excess, living to excess, uh, lust. He says he spent his money on prostitutes. He, he had a whole list of sins that made his life feel awesome. And then the pigs come. What the pigs represent is the consequences of our sin. And this is an important lesson. 
that there is a difference between your sin and the consequences of your sin. Because the reality is, guys, I could get up here and say sin is bad, but when you're in sin, you don't feel bad all the time. You're like, this feels great. And then life catches up to you. The pig is what comes after all the fun stuff. And he found himself feeding the pigs with food that he wasn't even allowed to eat himself. Now, this has whole connotations we're not going to get into for the Jewish culture. <laughs> feed it like it's living and hoping to feed off the scraps of the pigs. Uh, when Jesus told this story, what the pigs represented was the fallen state of the culture of the Gentiles. Like they were not God's people and their life was all messed up and that's what they get. They made their bed, they can lie in it. And, and the Israelites were like, I don't feel bad for them. I'm not, I don't have pity on them for, you know, I, we walk past and we see or we hear stories about how they like, you know, worship idols and they have idol prostitutes and they, they eat unclean foods and like, well, that's their life. That's what, that's the, the consequences of their choices of not following God's laws. So they looked at this as very much a cultural thing. Like their culture is sick and depraved and bad and that's what they get. And what Jesus was trying to do was get them to see like, well, they're going to be lifted out of that and they're going to be right back where you are. So what does this mean for us? Okay. Uh, I'm pretty sure that a lot of you, if you spent time reflecting, could reflect on your lowest of spiritual lows and remember what life was like when, when you cast off restraint and when you made foolish choices. And that's the sin, but then you have to deal with the consequences. And so, like, a story I tell a lot, uh, and I hope it's appropriate here, is that, um, you know, we were, Jen and I were dating as non-Christians, and I was not faithful at all. So we're we become disciples, yay, everything's awesome, new creation. And then we go through our premarital counseling, and I confess all that stuff, and that's consequence number one, having to see that in her face. And then she's just like, have you been tested, like, you know, for diseases? I'm like, no, I have not. She's like, well... Do that, because I'm, I'm not marrying you. And I'm like, but new creation. <laughs> and she's like, yep, yep, yep. And you'll be my brother in Christ over there. <laughs> but like, but that smacked me in the face. It's the difference between the, the sin and the consequences of the sin. And some of you here have been forgiven of the spiritual consequences of your sin. Jesus does not want to, to, Jesus wants to vouch for you. He does not want the Father to condemn you. And you're forgiven. And yet, you're dealing with the physical consequences of your sin. 
And, that, and God's okay with that. If I decide, you know what, I, uh, I'm going to blow every single dollar I have and just stop paying my bills, which happened before. As a non-Christian, but I was like, you know what, I'm going to move across the country and stop paying my car payment. Uh, that's not wise. Don't do that, okay? And then one morning, I wake up and my car is gone. And I call the police to report it stolen. And they say, what's your address? I give them the address and they're like, no, idiot. It was repoed last night. They called us and told us they were coming to take your car. And, um, and so if you stop paying your bills and ask for forgiveness, maybe God will forgive you. But your creditors won't forgive you. They'll come after you for their money. And so we have consequences of sin. Uh, I'm very familiar with all the consequences of my sin. Are you familiar with the consequences of your sin? I love this verse in Romans. When Paul in verse 6, verse 20. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. You could do whatever you wanted. And yet, what benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. And I love this verse because it just asks plainly, what did you get out of that? What was the benefit? And I remember, and I've had very explicit talks with young men about this. Like, in your mind, you think about women, and you think, ah, oh, tons of benefits from using and exploiting them. Until you do that, and you realize there are no benefits to that. And then you're ashamed of those things, and you realize they result in death. Don't live like that. He's like, what did you get out of that lifestyle? Nothing. So the question is very simple. What is your pig? Or what are your pigs? What are the consequences of your sins? Because if you live a life where you ignore those things, you're always going to go back there. When you're living with the pigs, it's very important that you know you're living with the pigs. What are the consequences of your sin? Maybe it's hurt relationships. Maybe it's broken trust. Uh, lost jobs, financial ruin, legal issues. These are real things. Some of these <laughs> are in my past. Uh, and that's the consequences of our sin. I, I, hope we, I hope we're never a church that, that ignores the consequences of our sin. Amen? All right, let's move on. We got the goat. <laughs> we're going to skip the calf. We're going to come back to the calf. We're going to talk about the goat. Uh, the first son brings up, the older boy brings up this idea of the goat, the, the little goat, the young goat. Uh, do you remember when we talked about forgiveness uh, a couple weeks ago? And I quoted a book by Fred Luskin. This is, Jose is like, he just per perked up. Luskin? Fred? Uh, <laughs> this is going to dip into Fred a little bit, okay? The goat represents our grievance story. What is a grievance story? You know what a grievance story is. Uh, a grievance story is the story you tell yourself over and over and over again about how everything was bad and everyone hurt you and you're the victim and all this stuff. And you just repeat it over and over again. And this guy had a grievance story. And his grievance story was, where's my little goat? He gets the fattened calf, and I don't even get a little goat. Where's my goat? Which makes me think of this movie right here. This is Fantastic Mr. Fox. 
Guys, watch this movie. I love this movie. But this is Ash, who is um, Everett's spirit animal. And Ash, so Christofferson comes, who's the cousin. Christofferson comes, and Mr. Fox, uh, who's there with, he got his tail shot off. Um, Christofferson gets invited on a raid. And Ash wanted to go, but they say, get, get back home. He's not athletic enough. He's little. He's weird. He's different. And so he makes Ash go home. And then when they come back from this raid, it didn't go well. He got his tail shot off. Ash is like, what's, what's the matter? Like, why does he get that? And it's, I love the line where he's like, he just got here and he gets a bandit hat. Because they wear the bandit hats, remember? The balaclava. He's like, he just got here and he gets a bandit hat. Where's my bandit hat? Why didn't I get shot at? <laughs> and he's telling, he's like angry. Because he wanted to be included and he wanted to be, he wanted a bandit hat. So the older brother, he wanted the goat. He wanted a little party for himself. And he sees his delinquent brother get a party. And he's like, where's my, where's my party? So from my history, I had, and I love them to death, and they're, they're, they're mature, grown adults now. But I had two brothers, so there were three of us. And there was a time where my brothers were less stable or in need of lots of money. And my, my parents would help them out. Uh, it started, but I didn't, I didn't ask for money, so I didn't get money. And it started to really, like, grate on me. Especially one brother. And if he's listening online, I'm sorry. But <laughs> I just thought about how, like, they live this way and they get to borrow money. And I'm not, I'm t that's my goat. That's my grievance story. Over and over in my head. Why don't, where's, where's my reward for being the good son? Where's my little goat? And we say it over and over again. You know what I never, ever thought? I never thought about the joy that I might bring my parents by being a responsible son. I never thought, maybe my parents are relieved when they think of me. And they think, oh, but we don't have to worry about Ben. Because <laughs> there was a time they did worry about me. But, uh, but I never took joy in the thought of my parents not being stressed out about me. I never imagined how relieved they would feel uh, because I was focused on the grievance story. All right, are you ready for the quote from Fred? Here's what Fred says in Forgive for Good. Careful feeding and dedicated nurturing of the grievance story can keep a hurt alive forever. And every time we complain about this story, we suffer physically. It is a great, this, where his whole thing in the book about the grievance story is awesome. Read it. Uh, and can you imagine, let, these aren't real people, the, the younger son and the older son, but can you imagine if the older son was talking about this stupid goat for the rest of his life? He gets the fattened calf and I don't get the a little goat? And it would destroy the whole family because they would never be, they would never be reconciled. Uh, I love it when James, in James 4, he talks about fights and quarrels. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? 
You desire, but you don't have, so you kill. You covet, but you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have, because you do not ask God. And this is what I love when it relates it to the grievance story. Because what this verse shows, that a lot of our issues with other people are actually issues inside ourselves. And if we were to resolve this, this wouldn't be as tense. Or, and James takes it a step further, he's like, a lot of your issues between us are, are problems that we should be bringing God into. And yet, it's a perspective thing. We don't have proper perspective. We're telling ourselves this grievance story over and over and over again, and we're never taking it to God. Here's how he ends this passage in 11 and 12. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? He's like, who are you, Mr. High and Mighty? <laughs> that was actually the brother I was just talking about. He just said happy birthday. <laughs> Uh, I was like, we're not live streaming this. Uh, I just, guys, we need to, someone needs to tell us this all the time. Who are you? Why do we think we're the most important person in the whole universe? And our problems are more important than everyone else's problems. It is a perception issue. And we tell ourselves these grievance stories over and over. What is your goat? <laughs> What is your grievance story? What's the thing that you're like, where's my little goat? Why don't I get a party? What's your pouting? You can say it even. You have a whiny voice. Yep. Say it in that whiny voice that you know you have. What is that sweet, sweet story that you poison yourself with? What is that hurtful picture you've painted about someone else that you can't stop looking at? What is that bitter song that you have on repeat in your brain? We make this like fake documentary about how things actually went down. And then we binge watch it over and over and over. I'm like, these are the facts. Until someone comes and fact checks you and then you're like, well, you know, it was like my little Michael Moore documentary. I kind of like put my spin on it. And they're like, well, that's not how it happened. And then you need, but, but do you have anyone in your life that will bring clarity to your grievance story? Like, thank God, the older son told his story to his dad, and his dad was like, stop it. That's not how it is. You have everything I have. We had to do this. And he shut that down now. But do we have people in our lives that will shut down our grievance stories? Not, not mean. <laughs> But we have to get rid of these things. Holding on to these is deadly. It will never, your, it will, repeating your grievance story over and over and over again will never restore your relationship. And it ultimately will hurt your relationship between you and God. Can you imagine? Imagine a scenario where the older brother hangs on to this goat thing. Where's my little goat? And the dad's like, stop, stop bringing up the goat. Like you have everything. And it ends up destroying his relationship with his dad. Because he can't stand that his dad is being nice to his younger brother. 
That happens with us. So we have to let that go. All right, here's the last part. We're going to talk about the calf. So the calf is what happens when the, the younger boy comes back and the dad is like, he's here, throw a party. And they kill the fattened calf. This, what does this represent in our lives? The fattened calf represents um, the relationship or the honor of a right relationship between you and God. When you have reconciliation and restoration, spiritually, that's the party. That's the feast that he's describing. So when Jesus told this story, honor was actually uh, in, in, there's honor-shame cultures where honor is a finite commodity. There's only so much honor to go around. And so if I honor you, you know, now you have more honor and we all have less honor. It's a very, you know, hierarchical structure. Well, they, had, they, they put this feeling on God. And here we are, the children of God, the chosen people of Israel. We have all the honor in the relationship between God. God hates everybody else. And so for Jesus to say, well, actually, he loves everyone else, and he's going to raise them up to your level. It didn't make sense to them. To them, they think, well, you're bringing God down by raising them up. All of our generations, centuries of living righteously, obeying the law, that doesn't count for anything? You're going to let them be just as loved as us? And they couldn't, they, didn't, they couldn't handle it. They would feel like that diminishes the honor. The problem is the honor comes from the relationship. The relationship comes from love, which is what God is made of. And so... By God lifting up the Gentiles that you are all benefactors of, by God bringing in those wicked younger sons, it's actually proving that he's God, not becoming less than God. Does that make sense? It demonstrates his love. It doesn't diminish it. And I hope, I hope everyone has the honor of a right relationship with God. This is what Paul says to Titus. Titus 3. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done. It's not because we were the older son that stayed at home and did all the things, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having eternal, hope of eternal life. Saying, the son that rejected his inheritance, he'll get it back. We, through our sin, reject our inheritance. God wants to give it back to us. This is a beautiful verse. This is, this is describing what God is doing when he like throws on the robe and the ring and the kisses and the, kills the fat and calf. This is the feast. This is the feast. And this is describing what it's like to be the second son. You weren't righteous. You didn't earn this, but you got it. And it's a party for you. So here, my, my plea for you is that you would remember your feast with the fattened calf. What do you mean? Uh, 
How did it feel when you received the forgiveness of all your sins? If, you, if, this, if the parable was real and the second son was a real guy, he'd never forget that day till the day he died. He'd always remember the day he came home, he had his little pre-planned speech in his mind, he starts delivering it, his dad interrupts him. Says, kill the fattened calf, this is a party, my son's back. And, you, and the slate is wiped clean. Like he would never forget that day. He could never go back to the other lifestyle because he sees, you know, what he was given. Do we remember it like that? The forgiveness of our sins? So for you, the feast, the day you made Jesus Lord of your life, baptized in the family of God, received the forgiveness of sins, and yet we have to work a lot harder to remember our feast than this guy would have to remember his. His would be at the top of his mind for the rest of his life. And yet we have to remember what was it like when I was forgiven of my sins. The memory can fade pretty easily and the reality is that the gratitude can fade even faster. The gratitude of receiving the forgiveness of our sins can come and go. Remember, church mind. You're all in church mind now. You go out there, church mind starts to wear off. And then we forget the feast of how awesome it was when God forgave our sins. And so we're going to take communion. And this is a great opportunity to remember that feast. When God restored the honor of an heir onto you. Here's my warning for, uh, for us this week. We talk, we talk to these guys like, which guy are you? Our identity will usually come down to the choices we make. And the things that we do, they become us over time. And my hope is that by looking not at the people, because remember, you're, you're both of those sons probably every day. Not by looking at the people, but by looking at the choices they made and what they chose I pray that we can be in the, the honor. We can choose the right relationship with God. So some of you today are great disciples and you're going to choose the honor of a right relationship with God. And I'm just going to be super honest with you guys. Some of you are going to choose sin. Like today. Like maybe even right now. But maybe later. And there's going to come a time where you're going you're to trade the honor for the sin. You're going to trade the fattened calf for the pigs. That's the reality of life, okay? And then some of you are going to choose to start telling yourself that story over and over and over again. You're going to say, you're going to be the pouty, where's my little goat? Uh, my question to you is just, which one are you going to choose today? My prayer is that you would choose the honor of a right relationship with God. So I'm going to pray, and then we will take communion, and, um, and that will be the end of our service.